This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We're going to be talking about the Panthers' dominant record-setting win in the Camellia Bowl over Ball State and looking back at the 2021 football season as a whole. We'll also talk about the ever-evolving picture with the men's basketball season as well as answer some listener questions. But first, let's talk about this Camellia Bowl win over Ball State. Georgia State, of course, beating Ball State 51-20 to in the 2021 Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama. Ball State jumped out to an early lead on a 56-yard Deshaun Jackson touchdown catch-up, but Georgia State fought their way in front, taking a 14-7 lead on a 37-yard scoop and score by Javon Dennis after Jamil Muhammad forced quarterback Drew Plitt to fumble. The teams exchanged two field goals apiece in the second quarter to make it a 2013 Panthers lead at halftime third quarter was all Georgia State. Panthers offense found the end zone on all three drives in the period while the defense pitched a shutout. And on the final play of the quarter, Ja'Cory Crawford tipped a plit pass intended for Jackson into the waiting arms of safety Antavius Lane, who returned the interception 55 yards for the defense's second score of the game. Pick six gave a commanding 48-13 lead for Georgia State and put an exclamation point on a total team performance, and the team finished 51-20 to give the Panthers a program-best eighth win in 2021 and made it seven wins out of eight games to finish the season. So, gentlemen, how about that Christmas Day Bowl victory for the Panthers? I mean, just exactly the performance you would have wanted to go out on for the year. A perfect way to finish off that 7-1 finish because, you know, wins are fine. You know, you take whatever wins you get. And there were certainly a couple of those during this run where it was like, didn't get the best performance, but you got that win. And that was most important. And that was still true. But even sitting here now can say that it's still good when you get those performances that do tick every box. And I really I don't know, aside from maybe a few stretches where the defense just kept committing penalties and extending drives or a couple of missed opportunities in the red zone in the first half for the offense where you could really say Georgia state could have done anything better. Like it really all they handled everything They did what they've done this entire run of wins. Um, they took care of the ball. They forced turnovers and they turned both of them directly into points, 14 points off of the two turnovers on those two plays. Um, and that third quarter was just a monumental, we are better than you and we know it quarter, put the game without doubt, put the game out of doubt. You're absolutely right. It, you know, it was the most complete game that Georgia State played all year. And it looked as if that Georgia State was just decided that it is Christmas and our gift is we're going to set the program record for wins. Because even in the first half, when the score was a lot closer than, you know, the final score would indicate, it still seemed like Georgia State was kind of doing what they wanted, and they were the reasons why Ball State were still in the game. You know, obviously, it looked a little bit bad after the first, you know, the first defensive series for Georgia State with that, you know, really long touchdown. But other than that, Ball State could not do a single thing on offense when the game mattered. And, you know, for Georgia State's offense, 
they kind of just did what Georgia State offense, what the Georgia State offense has done all year. You know, they ran the ball effectively. They used that running game to kind of affect the passing game. And, you know, <laughs> I'm really sad that Brad Glenn is gone now because I think this was his best called game of the season. Every single pass and every the situations when he would call on them to look for Aubrey and, you know, kind of the play design. It was just quintessential Brad Glenn football. Also, it was, it was beautiful to watch, honestly. He was in his bag in the third quarter, in his bag. And I mean, throughout the whole game, really, because if you were listening to the post game show uh, or hearing me ruminate on Twitter multiple times over the years, I finally got a name for what that formation is where they send the uh, offensive lineman out wide. Uh, it's called the Emory and Henry formation. And we saw it prominently when Georgia State beat Troy in 2019. We've seen it a few times since, but it had been a little while since we had seen it. And they brought it out on that first scoring drive in the first quarter and converted on the ground to get a third and I think it was like third and two, third and three, something like that. And the next play, (laughs) because it's a, a formation Ball State hadn't seen a ton, I'm not sure if they were ready to make reads off of all right if they can if they do this play they've got this to run off of it like they were probably like what is this formation we got to get set we can't you know send too many guys out wider they're going to run it up the middle and there wasn't a safety in the middle and so brad glenn was like all right aubrey's going to be a receiver on this play and he ran past as in the entire middle you know there were like six five or six guys there all played the run aubrey just ran past the most wide open he's probably ever been on a touchdown and he's a guy who, as Darren said post game, just finds himself wide open basically every game. And it was 7 7. Reset what could have been some momentum for Ball State after they got that big play. And then you're right. Like they hit on that big pass play. Uh, and Tavius Lane got beat a little bit in coverage. He just didn't take a good angle, got caught. And, you know, Justin Hall didn't play for Ball State. So Jackson was the best skill position player that Ball State had. He made a good play. But after that, you know, nothing really for their offense. You know, they, they were trying to work a lot of underneath stuff in the passing game that that's just not how you beat Georgia State. And the thing that's been true, especially this last month, but through most of this winning streak, uh, this 7-1 stretch for Georgia State, is teams haven't really been able to run the ball up the middle consistency, consistently. And pretty much all year, teams haven't been able to run the ball to the perimeter very much either and so that was happening yeah both were happening on saturday on a yeah on saturday and uh that made a bad formula for ball state they couldn't do anything on the ground outside of a couple of they got a 15 yarder they got a couple of seven yarders but they were behind the sticks the pass rush was getting home even when they weren't getting sacks they were being disruptive and plit was taking some hits and feeling pressure and hearing footsteps and they just weren't able to stay on the field. They weren't able to convert on third downs. Uh, they weren't able to convert on a, a fourth down, which I, I want to talk about in some detail at some point, because I, when I saw it on rewatch, I was, I marveled just by the complete effort it took to get that turnover on downs to happen. Um, like coaches, players, everyone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the defense really, it, it's just one of those things, like, I guess you can't really point to either side there were some games this year where the defense outpaced the offense or vice versa. And you got the way you have to got the win that way. This was really, I mean, it was a 31 point win and really more than that because both sides of the ball just played the best game they've played in a while. 
and you know that's important like i i think that specific point is important because you know you kind of look at these stats that ball state put up and you're like okay plit was 27 to 46 you know on the surface like that looks good it's a 59 percent completion percentage but like whatever and then you like you really think back to the game and you think about what happened during the game and it's like well all of his completions were just really Georgia State giving them anything underneath that they wanted. And outside a couple of wheel routes to steal, you know, they were, I mean, they were really, really force feeding Jackson. Um, and I mean, it kind of worked. Like he had a decent game, I suppose, but it's just, it was really nice to see the Georgia State defense just kind of have their way with Ball State. And, you know, like you said, they weren't getting sacks in the first half and i think that that was a big uh reason why it was closer in the first half than you know the game the final would indicate but i think the reason they weren't getting sacks is just because plit was actually getting the ball out and like you said there was pressure you know he was getting hit if he held the ball long um you know and if he didn't hold the ball too long because his receivers weren't open then you know he had to throw it away but it just it was truthfully a great performance by georgia state you know outside of that lane like you mentioned, Lane got beat on that first drive. I don't think I remember a single other time where Georgia State was just actually out, you know, out of their element in the secondary or in, you know, the linebacking core. Like, I think Georgia State just kind of gave Ball State space and kind of backed off at some point in the third quarter. But it wasn't like, oh, you know, guys are just getting beat either on the outside or, you know, kind of deep. So, like, it, it truthfully was just a dominant performance by the defense and you know kind of the same could be said about the offense like I, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that this was Darren's best game you know like it it easily was his best game and he, he was just a guy like his four incompletions I believe they most of them if not all of them happened in the first half um and you know they weren't great throws there's a couple overthrows and there was the like he spiked a couple Right. And there was the weird like Aubrey uh, open in the seam, but Aubrey thought Darren was running and, you know, like that is obviously an incompletion, but whatever. It wasn't like a necessarily a bad throw, just kind of a miscommunication. Um, But at the same time, though, Darren still put up over 300 yards from scrimmage and, you know, his long run and then the touchdown run like it's just easy like that was the version of Darren Granger we thought okay if this guy's gonna play for Georgia State and be good you know this this is the Furman QB that we saw you know so that you know that was exciting to watch yeah I, he had a great game MVP of the Camellia Bowl totally warranted and you coach I said it at halftime he he said it after the game as well that at some point he just started said to Darren, your two legs are better than your two arms, run it. And he was right in the second half. I will say this, that Ball State had an answer, I think, for the inside run. I think that they came in on defense and said, all right, the Georgia State team's a good rushing team, and they really want to establish that inside run. And that's, you know, that's exactly right. To a T, that's what Georgia State likes to start off of. It's how you kind of set up your run game. And they did a good job with that, I thought. They were basically keying in on that and weren't letting that be what beat them. But the thing was, is they didn't have an answer for Darren Granger running the ball. And so especially in the second half, as the game went on, and they started opening up the plays and started changing it to where they were running options to the outside or running the RPOs where Darren had an option to kick it to the perimeter on the ground. They started doing that more, and the blocking started opening up more, and they just they were not ready and that touchdown run and even on the the long run that set up the field goal in the the first half like 
Darren hit space and just no one was around him. Uh, they chased him down on the first one. They did not on the second one. And the, the second one, the touchdown run was just, he had a lane that Aubrey was in and it was basically like Aubrey just had to run down the field and he had a, a just kind of natural lane to run through and then uh, got in the end zone. Uh, I, I wanted to circle back because I did tease the thing about the turnover and downs, but before I mentioned that, I wanted to talk about the sequence right before it where Georgia State gets the scoop and score, which, I mean... A strange play because Drew Plitt just kind of left the ball on the ground and Javon Dennis was there to pick it up. But you know, I do want to say again that Jamil Muhammad, who's been coming on so strong as the year went on, got a lead get off on that play, just beat his guy off of the line and was there. I think after the game, he was a little bit disappointed. He wasn't able to finish off the play himself, get the, the full sack. And then also... Uh, that he had to let someone else get the touchdown. But I think in the end, season of giving, he probably felt good that he was able to give a teammate a touchdown like that. Jamil Muhammad, ultimate Christmas gift giver. <laughs> no, I mean, the the Jamil Muhammad story is definitely a fun one. And I, I think you kind of posted something in our chat about it this week, about somebody calling that Georgia State was just going to need to find a guy who's capable of stepping up and being there on the outside to kind of replace Jordan Strawn. And I, I don't know, like, I, I didn't think that Jamil would be this effective because, you know, we saw him in the spring game and, you know, you mentioned that he looked different and, you know, he looked definitely he like he fit the part of a linebacker. But just as the season went on and, you know, as he got more and more playing time, he just became just such a quintessential part of the Georgia State defense. And, you know, I would honestly say that there were stretches, maybe not for full games, but there were stretches and drives where the best defender on the field happened to be Jameel. And, you know, that play with the strip sack was just another example of him just making a play and, you know, somebody kind of cleaning up on the back end, but him being able to get there and make a play. And, you know, I, I noticed that he started like pretty, cause he, he didn't really start before um, he would always come in like, you know, halfway through the first quarter, you know, play, play sparingly here and there. But I noticed that that first defensive series, even when they gave up the touchdown, like he was on the field. Um, so, you know, it was really nice to see, you know, all of that progress be rewarded with something like that. And, you know, he had a good game. Like, that's that's all you want to see from somebody like that. Incredibly excited to see where he goes from here. Because, I mean, the thing is, is, you know, Jordan Strawn had that season go on. And obviously he left. And so that took away some of the luster of it as well. But he was already going to be a senior this next uh, this past year anyway. Jamil still got <clears throat> he's going to be a junior next year. And that would still be with the classification of he could have an extra year because of COVID if he wanted to. So technically it's a guy who could have three more years and it feels like, I don't even, I don't think it's fair to say he's just scratching the surface. Like I think the search, the surface has been scratched at this point, but there's another level that he can get to after that, that I, I think it'll be really fascinating to see. And it's the type of dynamic guy where you're going into 2022 now being like, so this guy's a starter. This guy's a guy who can make a play at any given moment. And it's going to on a defense that already was playing really well. It's going to lend itself to feeling good. Like, all right, they can hit it from the jump this time instead of what's happened the last couple of years where maybe it's been a little bit of a slow start defensively. Uh, but finally I will uh, tease no longer. There's no way this can leave up, live up to expectations now that I've mentioned it, I think twice leading up to it, but this was just a sequence I picked up on watching, uh, watching it back that the turnover on downs after this, it's 14, seven ball state gets it to a third and one. 
And they tried to quick snap. They tried to quick. It looked like it was going to be what they ended up running on the fourth down play, quarterback sneak, and Coach Elliott called timeout. And I'm sure during that timeout, he was like, if they don't get this third down, they're going to do that again. And sure enough, Georgia State stuffs the third down run, and Ball State rushes the line on the fourth down, and Georgia State is immediately ready. They're in a reduced front, and they plug all the holes, and there's literally no push. The offensive line does nothing. Plitt just runs into them, stuff for no game, and turn it over on downs. And so, yeah, obviously, number one, the players did a really good job of executing and being game aware in that situation. But also, if Coach Elliott doesn't call that timeout on third and one, Ball State probably gets it because they were up at the line. Georgia State was not set. And so it was basically the turnover and downs probably should have resulted in a touchdown because a thrash got called for a penalty on just blocking a guy. But it got you a free free field goal because that's what Georgia State ended up getting. And, you know, the game might go differently there, at least for the rest of the half. If Ball State keeps possession there, gets a touchdown drive there, it could be a tie game instead. 17-7, 17-7, and then from there on. Yeah, you know, the, those little plays were just so abundant in this game. And, it, it like, I, I don't even know what else to really even say about it because it was just such a nice culmination and end for this season, like this specific season for Georgia State that it, it's just, it's so incredible where this team started and just how strong they finished, you know? And it, the sad part is, is we're, we're a couple plays away from this team having 10 wins. You know, and that is absolutely unheard of based on where they started. Yeah, I mean, complete turnaround. And it just started. I mean, I I feel like this is the point where you should say that we did see this coming. Like we we laid out the path for you guys. If you were listening, even in the doom and gloom of one and four, it was like, all right, go beat ULM. Go beat Texas State. Go beat your rival who's not having a great year. Get back to 500 and see what happens in November. That happened. They were able to beat. Coastal, not Louisiana, even though I think we probably thought it was more likely it was going to be reversed. Um, and they were still obviously had all the chances in the world to win that Louisiana, Louisiana game as well. And so even, you know, even just saying, OK, you lost to Auburn. That's how the game went. You weren't in it for that game. Like just the one game you could have finished on an eight and no run there. Like it is not at all inconceivable just to say you could have pulled out that Louisiana win. You know, they, they finished out on the, the two home games and then dominated in the bowl game. And yeah, I mean, it really is just a credit to them keeping their head down, taking care of their business. And, you know, it's a, it's a way that you know, the Georgia State offense that just tore up the Sun Belt in 2019 with Dan Ellington, like they weren't necessarily turning the ball over ever the player or anything like they were taking care of the ball well but i also feel like it's a different type of georgia state team that we've seen where everything was so simpatico where both the offense wasn't turning the ball over hardly at all and the defense was creating turnovers in bunches and in this game it was the two impact turnovers which it's i i if, if there's been other games where georgia state has had multiple defensive touchdowns me as a somewhat scholar of georgia state football i can't think of any on top of my head and, you know, I think they against Arkansas State in uh, 2015, I think they had a kick return touchdown and a pick six. So I guess technically they've had multiple uh, non-offensive touchdowns in the same game before. But it, it's just a, a level of dynamism, especially from the defense uh, that Georgia State hasn't benefited from a ton. But it's something we've really seen the last two years where the turnovers are just coming in bunches. And, 
you know, obviously the guy who's been on both those defenses, who's led both of those defenses interceptions, who got one of the defensive touchdowns in this game. I just don't know that you can overstate how much Antavius Land has meant since he's been able to play at Georgia State because he just is the, a type of player Georgia State hasn't had the benefit of having in the defensive backfield over their time. And he's just always around the ball. Interception on in this game, he was there where he needed to be. George, Corey Crawford made a great play, which I didn't even catch live. It was something I noticed on rewatch that it was actually it wasn't off of the hands of the receiver. Corey Crawford was there, perfect coverage, and tipped it to Antavius, and he was right there. And that was one of the easier interceptions he's going to have. And he's probably going to keep having some of those uh, pick sticks. I would be surprised if he doesn't continue to just tear up the defensive record book is the way he's already done as the all-time interception leader as a sophomore yeah absolutely you know it's sticking with that defense point in georgia state's 13 games this year they got multiple turnovers in seven of them and they won all of them obviously it's kind of hard to lose those games but i know that you know we kind of laughed halfway through the season about how they hadn't gotten an interception yet and they were pretty good about that last year but i just realized that they got at least one turnover in every game except for the army game which is incredible because at cer- at a certain point during the season we you know kind of discussed how they weren't being as prolific with their turnovers as you know we kind of expected them to be based on last year and you know obviously the interceptions finally started coming after and, and ironically, the fumble stopped coming afterwards, but, you know, they were still finding ways to be impactful, you know, which was something that they weren't doing early on in the season. But it's still kind of crazy just how the defense kind of just molded together. And, you know, I think, like I said, this game was really the game that just showed you kind of where this team could have been. And, you know, when this team is playing on and well, like what that looks like and how dominant they truly can be. Yeah, and you got those two. It's really rare to have two incredibly backbreaking plays happen in the same quarter, like happened to Ball State. But I think it, the pick six obviously rates as that. I think earlier in the quarter, the only drive they really put together in the second half when Georgia State starters were in, they got they were they were down thirty four thirteen at this point, and they stalled out. It was a fourth and long, so they had to settle for a field goal and. I don't necessarily agree with the field goal call there, but I think the idea was just to get something positive in your direction and they missed the field goal. And so they had those two backbreaking things happen in the third quarter that it really felt like that was going to be it no matter what. And then Georgia state scored two more times after that. But you know, the other part of it is that even when it was a two score game in the third quarter, even when Georgia state added that third, once the pick six happened, it was pretty academic, but if you're, I was sitting there in the press box there in the Crampton Bowl, and even when it was just 34-13, it was so much time left, but in my head I was like, the only way Georgia State doesn't hang on to this game is if they start making mistakes and letting Ball State into this game, and that's not been this team's MO. You know, Speaking of what we were just talking about, this just hasn't been a team that's going to let a team back into a game, and they did anything but that. They stepped on the throat and they put it away. And, you know, it's not even just that they stepped on the throat by scoring. It's they just kept ball state from being able to still do anything, even when the game was out of reach. 
you know, it wasn't like, oh, Georgia State is, you know, kind of being lackadaisical with the ball, but still recovering it. And, oh, you know, they're not really moving the ball, but, you know, they but Ball State's not taking advantage of it. No, I mean, like I said, Georgia State just kept finding ways to be on the field and just, you know, find ways to control as much of the clock and tempo and game as they could. And, you know, like that, like I said, like that's. This game was the Georgia State that we expected to see coming into the year. Not necessarily a team that's going to blow the doors off everybody and win by 31 every single week. No, but a team that's going to run the ball well, a team that's going to find passes when the passes are there, and a team that also is capable of being impactful on defense through getting a lot of pressure by having a secondary that can make plays. I think every single defensive back on Georgia State was involved in some way in making a play, whether or not it showed up in the stat sheet or not. You know, you know, being opportunistic with their turnovers. I hate that word, but you know, it really does just shows you how good Georgia State specifically was in this specific game with that sort of style of play. And, you know, going into next year and you know when in a few months when it's time for predictions and things of that nature we're gonna look at this and we're gonna be like okay like at the end of the season like we were right like this could be a very good georgia state team and you know as far as we know a lot of people are going to be coming back next year for georgia state you know not everybody it's covid the covid extra year is actually going to start to affect some people who this past season was the season where they got the extra year and you know there's some transfer news and stuff like that that we'll discuss as it arises but you know like the bare bones of a great georgia state team is still here and it's still going to be here next year as david just stated we do have some news regarding the transfer portal and the covid bonus years so as you have probably seen by now uh, star wide receiver sam pinkney has entered the transfer portal and as reported by Stan Autry of the AJC, the first confirmation of a host of players using their extra year of eligibility granted by the COVID-19 pandemic are offensive lineman Pat Bartlett and center Malik Sumter, uh, running backs Tucker Gregg and Jam Williams, uh, inside linebacker Blake Carroll, and cornerback Quavian White. The school is also appealing for tight end Aubrey Payne to be granted a sixth year of eligibility. So uh, some good, some bad, some... Uh, We'll see what happens with all of that stuff. But gentlemen, what are your thoughts? I'll start with the Sam Pinkney news. Um, it's a big loss. It is. Uh, there's no real way to sugarcoat that. Um, I don't want people to panic, though, um, because it's kind of the same thing that happened with the Jordan Strawn news a year ago, in my estimation. You know, we, we mentioned coming into this year specifically that you might not have the country's sack leader on your team anymore. And that by nature is a loss. You know, obviously Sam this year dealt with a hamstring injury for a lot of the year and just, you know, the way that the offense worked passing was definitely not as impactful at times. So his numbers look a little bit different than they did a year ago when he was kind of that star and leading showman for Georgia state in the receiving core. However, the production of a healthy Sam Pinckney 
can still be replicated with some of the guys that are still here in Georgia State. And I think that is important. You know, you saw all year, all year we talked about who was going to be that third guy for Georgia State. And you saw a number of guys in individual spots step up, you know, and just looking at the bowl game, you know, you had another excellent performance from Jamari Thrash. You know, you saw Robert Lewis score his first collegiate touchdown, offensive touchdown, I believe. Um, and, you know, that those type of performances are very important and are very informative for, you know, how you tailor your offense going forward. I think the best way that Georgia State is able to replicate Sam's production is by having a little bit more consistency in the passing game. You know, I, I won't tell you who's going to be under center for Georgia State next fall against South Carolina when they open the season. I won't I won't say that, but. I will say, I know that whomever is the new offensive coordinator for Georgia State that is going to be there, their emphasis this this summer and, you know, kind of leading into fall practice is going to be, we're Georgia State, we're going to run the ball well. How can we improve on the passing game? So you have guys who are popping those same pygmy type weeks every single week, you know, and health permitting how can we have that be just kind of the baseline level for georgia state because if you if you could have put 2020 sam pinkney on this 2021 georgia state offense there's not a chance in hell this team loses more than two games if that truthfully i think this that could have been one of the best offenses in the Sun Belt. and you know like you saw it with the running game once that got once that got started so you know, like I said, it's a big loss, but I truthfully think Georgia State will be fine. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's a situation that makes sense. You know, I don't think any of us were very surprised by the news because even when he was healthy, his production wasn't what it had been last year. And he's got a chance of making the NFL. He's got a chance of getting drafted. He's got to get in an offense where he knows he's going to get 50 they at least have a chance at 50 plus receptions and that isn't Georgia state right now. Now, if he had stayed and 2022 passing improves, he might've still got that, but that's not something that when he's looking at making moves for deciding his future that he can bank on. And I'm sure he's going to get looks from programs that are going to be looking to pass the ball that he, they can feature him in. And, you know, I've said it probably multiple times on here and definitely multiple times factoring in just off-air conversations I've had with people. Just that the only thing that stopped him from being an all-conference type receiver is when he's been hurt. Because every time he's consistently been on the field, he just shows up and makes plays. And last year, you know, it was its own level of dynamism of the offense, which just that quad could drop back and throw to Sam and Sam was going to win 50, 50 balls. And they were more like 80, 20 balls. And I think it's a bummer for Georgia state that it's his final year is not going to be with them, but I'm sure good programs are interested in him. I'm sure there's teams out there that, you know, are very happy to see that his, he's going to be available and they're going to try and sell him on their program. And I guess for Georgia state's purposes, it would just be nice if the guy from South Carolina doesn't go to the, the flagship or to a, a different school in the conference who is in the state of South Carolina who may or may not be replacing their top two targets at receiver and tight end. Um, I don't know how likely those are, but I would just say that the only way where this works out badly for Georgia State where they can go is if he ends up in uh, South Carolina in the opener or if he goes to Coastal. But, you know, I am i don't have any kind of intel as to what the possibility of that is. But that was my second thought. After going through what I just laid out, 
in my head. The second thought was, well, it would kind of be bad for Georgia State if he went to South Carolina or Coastal. <laughs> Get it? How likely? Come on. Somebody somebody in the Sunbelt sphere has got to give me a high five for that one. I, you know, I'm honestly, like, aside from that likely and highly are really good, and it's good for Georgia State that they're moving on, I'm kind of just glad that the, the pond or the opportunity to say the word likely when you're talking about coastal, you you can say it again. Like, it's not like, can I say this word without people assuming I'm trying to make a bad pun, which I'm just not. It's just a word that I'm trying to say. Um, and then, you know, the other part of all of this is the first kind of official word we heard. I don't think, again, any of us were shocked that Tucker and Jam were going to be coming back. It felt like a pretty obvious, if anyone was going to use the extra year, is going to be those guys because they are the bulk of the production, the running back room. And so it would have been a loss to lose either of them or both of them. And so uh, that's definitely a plus, um, a little bit surprised, but again, it's a good surprise that Malik and Pat are both coming back. And so you're losing Quan Gilmore, who's been the best shortest state offense lineman ever. And that mantle is probably not going anywhere anytime soon, but you're going to go into 2022 with at least four starters coming back. And those guys have been all conference this year and are a part of why you've been able to get the ground game so good. And so that's definitely positive. Same with Quay White and Blake Carroll. Really nice to have those two starters coming back on the defensive side of the ball, continuing to kind of build that inside linebacker partnership with Carroll and Venzial, um, who were just, it just feels like really suited to play next to each other in this defense. It just felt like, I mean, we really saw that from like the Auburn game on where they were just playing really as one in the middle of the defense and, you know, having your starting corner come back on the perimeter, uh, one of your best cover guys, obviously any team wants that to happen. And so I think that they're with those um, decisions to come back. And I guess we'll hear about Aubrey um, that that seems, I don't know. The NCAA with six years, it feels a little bit tenuous, but, Obviously, Georgia State would not be any worse off by getting another year with Aubrey. I mean, and then he's just going to blow up the tight end touchdown receptions record to some ungodly number if he gets another year. But I think there were already going to be a couple of questions that like, all right, they've got to replace this guy. They've got to replace this guy. But I think on balance and we'll continue to hear these announcements come out. um, I don't think the fact that those were the names that were named is an implication that those are the only people using their extra year. I think we'll still wait to see what the announcements are, but it doesn't feel exactly like last year where there were so many guys coming back, but a lot of guys are coming back and this was the best team in Georgia state history. So that's gotta be a situation where you're heading into the spring practice in the fall, feeling pretty good about where this team is headed. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And the only thing I have to contribute is Quay White is 100% coming back because he wants to try to take the interception record from Ant Lane. And you will literally not convince me otherwise. So good luck with that. And good luck to him as he chases that record. I believe he's down one, two, maybe. Uh, so yeah. we'll see about it. Yeah, well, I, I would not take that. I mean, I think Quay White's great. He's definitely a guy that's good for interception, but it feels like. You know, the, the Antavius Lane stock with interceptions is only going up. I mean, he's got the team lead both years he's been here. I don't think that he's relenting on that one. Uh, I guess I, I wanted to close uh, the football. I mean, we've kind of been talking about football for a while, but 
I did a little bit of uh, research on Winsipedia and I noticed something. So I wanted to just kind of talk about it. And uh, because I feel like it was important information that I didn't know was the case is that with the last two wins of this year, Georgia State has now passed FIU and they're now 130 of 131 in all-time win percentage in FBS teams. Uh, it was with these last two wins and, you know, I I think that this just speaks to more just the general where Georgia State's at, what they've been able to accomplish this year. And because I kept digging on Winsipedia, which is a great site if you're not familiar with it. It's got all the stats you need to know about records. It's got all the head-to-heads that you need to see for teams. And Georgia State's win percentage before Coach Elliott got here was 24.2%. It is now over, it's 35%. And that's because he's won 50% of his games here. This last win took him to 30 and 30 at this time as Georgia State. So he has literally doubled the win percentage of what Georgia State's win percentage was before he got here. And so in the talk of, all right, the Sunbelt Championship's got to come, and it does, and a 10-win season's got to come, and it does, I just really don't think we can gloss over just the complete transformation that this program has taken in the last five years. Because, I mean, here's the, the truth of the matter. The 130 out of 131, you get to be, you know, everyone gets their jokes in. Georgia State's got a 35% win percentage all time. That's not very good, obviously. The thing of it is, is that you, Georgia State's now played 12 seasons. Three of the 12 seasons, Georgia State had one win or zero wins. That's 25%. If any team out there suddenly had 25% of their seasons turn into one win or zero win seasons, their all-time record would look pretty bad too. And so Georgia State can't do anything about that at this point. They were really bad when they were an FCS to FBS transition team. It took them a bit out to get out of it. But that's the past at this point. And the team that's been since that point has been, you know, 150% of their games. If you take out the 2018 year where it was, Two and ten team, they've won fifty-eight percent of their games under Coach Elliott, and it just—you know—I just think that it, you you can't forget about where the team was and how bad it really was, and how there's pretty much a line of demarcation of like the bad Georgia State teams and now the good ones, and you can make that distinction. You can say that this is a different team because I mean, you look at them out there in that bowl win, in any of the bowl wins they've had where they've, you know, they're three and one bowl games under coach Elliott and have been the better team convincingly in all three of those wins. It's a completely different team than the team that when I showed up as a freshman to Georgia state in 2012, completely different. And the crazy part is, you know, just doing some quick back of the Mac, back of the napkin math. If Georgia state only won four games next year, their percentage would basically stay where it is right now. So all they have to do is win that fifth game and it's going to increase. And are you like, are you going to look me in the face and tell me that after this season, you wouldn't expect Georgia state to be able to find five wins on their schedule. Come on. That's what this team and this program and this school is. And that is a huge, like you said, that is a huge difference from where they were just 10, not 10 years ago, but like six years ago, seven years ago. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I think the expectation fairly every year now is going to be bowl game is the minimum. And I think next year, even though there's a tough non-conference schedule, there's going to be an expectation of like this. 
all right, you had a tough schedule that you scheduled, but you've got to win games. And I don't think it's going to be, if they're one and four again, people are going to be like, ah, well, they did this last year and end up being eight and five. Like, I, there's going to be disappointment if there's, they have to dig out another hole next year. But you just, you have to get to the point where it's like reasonable to say you can be an eight win team, you can be a bowl team every year. And Georgia State wasn't there yet. And I think if they get one of these wins, you know, the seasons where they put up 10 wins, they put up 11 wins, that's going to do a big part of getting back to where they're fighting into the range of other schools' win percentages. And, you know, you're not going to completely rewrite, rewrite your record by getting seven win, eight win seasons. Uh, but, you know, I, God, it's so much different from what it was. And it's definitely refreshing. Uh, a credit to what this staff's really been able to do because it, four bowl games in five years. I mean, that's more wins in than Georgia State managed over a three season stretch from 2012 to 2014. That's bowl games that they've been to. You know, in the conference, Texas State hasn't had a better record than four and eight since 2014, and Georgia State's been to five bowl games since 2015. Like the growth that they've been able to put in collectively definitely far and away exceeds where this the lows of the lows this program has been in and unfortunately we all have very strong living memories of that so it's still i think need to see more and more success to continue to wipe it away but like trust me this team is so far removed from that era all right so let's go ahead and move on into basketball and oh boy do we have stuff to talk about with basketball so first off there's been a sunbelt conference rule change regarding the covid protocol and how they're going to treat games that are not played due to covid issues specifically there are no more forfeits for games lost to covid issues but each game will be a no contest and will not be rescheduled Teams will be seeded in the conference tournament by conference win percentage, but those teams who cannot play at least 80% of the average conference schedule managed by the Sunbelt teams will get seeded in the bottom of the bracket. And it is interesting that this happened when it did, because uh, today, as of recording this podcast, uh, this became very, very relevant news because Georgia State scheduled games this week at Arkansas State and Little Rock have been canceled due to COVID protocols and the GSU program. Those games will not be rescheduled and State is now scheduled to open conference play at home in the sports arena on January 6th against Texas Arlington. So let's go ahead and kick off men's basketball discussion in this episode with a question from Ethan on Twitter who asks, is sickness and injury the reason we men's basketball are struggling or is this how this year is going to be? Gentlemen, go ahead. So, yeah, I, I really, this was a good question. I, I think it's a, a question a lot of people are asking around the program just because things haven't gone well and things this is not the way you want to start Sunbelt Conference play if you want to say, all right, things are going to turn around now. Like, immediately having your first two games canceled because of more COVID problems in the program is not a very good omen for Sunbelt play. And I also don't want to make it seem like I'm just going to give excuses when giving my answer, but, like, I think the answer is yes. The injuries and all this, like, is the factor and i have a little bit of empirical evidence to back this up in the fact that last year when georgia state was not dealing with any interruptions with covid they won most of those games and especially down the stretch 
they were they were on that win streak until the Sun Belt final, and they lost that game. But that game wasn't because of that. That was you know out, App State out mentalityed them, out whatevered them in that final in that second half, and won that game and deserved the credit for outplaying Georgia State, punching their ticket to the dance. But like outside of that, once Georgia State hit the reset, uh, started playing every week, they were a really good team. A guy who played every one of those games was Elias Seve. He hasn't been playing this year. And, you know, the sooner he gets back for Georgia State, the better their prospects are going to be because it's clear he's just such a very important cog in what they're trying to do, especially defensively. And he's been out. And so Joe Jones is out for the year. He's got an injury. And so what you're left with is Jalen Thomas, who's your regular starter, but he's playing up a spot in the front court, so to speak. And then you've got Caleb Scott, Jamal Kleisch, and uh, Jaheim Hudson. None of whom, you know, two of them are freshmen. The other one has played sparingly last year. And, like, it does matter for Georgia State's success that three of the four of their frontcourt players aren't experienced, haven't had that time, and they're just missing their tone setter on defense. And so... Like, there's obviously stuff that could be going better. Like, Kane and Corey could have better shooting percentages. But, you know, the truth of it is that they were having problems with that last year. And they were covering it up because the team was better defensively and just playing better as a whole. And so, this year, you haven't had that. And so, when guys have missed shots and not be able to put it in the basket, it's hurt you a lot more. Especially, you know, in games as you were in down the stretch, like against Georgia Tech. And so... I don't know what the answer is as far as fixing it this year because LEL is going to come back, but it might not be a magic bullet. And, you know, we'll see how they're able to come out of this reset. And you'd hope that they're able to just kind of hit the ground running like they were able to do when they finally started playing every week last year and went on that run that I spoke about. But, you know, I guess I can't say that that's definitely going to happen. So I can understand the concern that's out there, but I'm definitely not. Uh, above saying that the injuries and all that's gone on is a huge reason why there's been struggles. I'm not above saying it either. Um, you know, last year the team started their first 10 games. They went eight and two. They looked great. And then there was that COVID pause. And then, you know, some games were played. There were some cancellations and stuff like that. And they kind of looked a little shaky. And you're like, uh, what's going on with the team? And then they rattled off an eight game win streak right until that Sunbelt championship, like you said, you know, and when they were healthy, whether it be, you know, injuries or COVID, when they were truthfully healthy, they looked great. They looked exactly like the team that could have been the best team in the Sun Belt that people thought that they were going to be last year. And there has been nothing that has really shown me that that is going to change this year. I think Georgia State is missing that trend that yes that tone setter and LEL Sasemi that's you know that's really important and I think a lot of guys have just had struggles of various degrees for you know whatever reason a number of reasons but at the same time though we haven't been talking about a healthy Georgia State team at any point in time this year so let's get these guys healthy and yes the things things are probably going to get better from there you know I think the unfortunate part of the specific cancellations that Georgia State has had in this out of conference schedule is they've had to play a lot of their d1 games and a lot of them didn't look great and you know the games against 
inferior competition. Georgia State kind of looks sometimes they look like they struggled, but obviously that competition wasn't able to run with them like a Richmond or whomever could run with them. And so it looks a lot worse on paper if you've just looked at the box scores for Georgia State. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're going to go undefeated in non-conference play. Um, I, you know, I feel like that dream that I put out there has kind of sailed, but I still, if you're asking me or if you're asking any of us, if we think that anybody in the Sunbelt is still better than Georgia state, I, I can't say that that's the case. I truthfully think, you know, give them a couple weeks to get healthy and, you know, get LEL back and kind of into the flow and stop having Jamal Kleisch play minutes at, at center and, you know, things could easily get better. Yeah. And, you know, as we say this, remember that we told you the football season was going to go fine and the the football season went fine. And so we're not just being homers here. We've got a track record of being right about this. Um, Just just saying, I'm not saying I'm just saying. Um, But, you know, obviously this is quite an unfortunate announcement and all. And I will be honest and say that I was ready to book my time. I was I had the days the days off. I have Thursday and Saturday off. And so I was going to be ready to cover both these games, watch these games. But because of all of the cancellations that have been going on, I was kind of like 50-50 that the games were going to happen. And not because of anything with Georgia State, but just because it's what's been happening. I mean, if you open your ESPN app and look at the Division One slate, there are so many cancel, 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 postpone, postpone, postpone. If you just scroll down, like teams have come back from the holidays and when they're testing, when they come back, because of just the nature of Omicron and where the country is right now, just kind of it's where everything is. And so, you know, my immediate reaction was different this time than with the Rhode Island game, because it's a different circumstances. And it's just kind of been the reality of everyone went home and saw family. And obviously everyone's priority after what's been a rough two years was that. And so that was never going to happen any differently. And, the way that the virus has been going, that had an impact. And you're seeing a lot of schools, not just Georgia State, having these issues. And, you know, other, I don't think there's any other Sunbelt school as we record this podcast who will not be playing because of it. But Bob Marlin, Louisiana's coach, won't coach when they go to the Carolina schools this week because he tested positive. Like Duke, I think Duke or Notre Dame had cases where it got canceled. And these are just the big blue blood basketball programs where you know, they have the money to, uh, to, you know, bubble up or whatever if they need to just like that. Uh, they haven't been able to avoid it. And so I, I, I am having a hard time making it this big negative about Georgia state. It's unfortunate. And as Jordan laid out in the rules, Georgia state doesn't have that much more leeway. If other schools are able to play games to drop games without it affecting seating, because I think they can lose if if the average is around 18 conference games, uh, which it would be right now other than Georgia State, because no one else would have had games canceled. Georgia State can only lose one more game and still have their win percentage count as is or get dropped to the bottom of the uh, conference tournament bracket, which would not be very good for, uh, you know, the purposes of trying to win in March. But I'm having a hard time making it this big negative because, yeah, I think it's obviously a trying time for everyone. You know, this has not been the year of good feelings and all, but I feel like there's a natural reaction just to make being positive and having this happen, be this big negative thing about people. And, you know, I just, 
whether we're talking about basketball, whether we're talking about whatever, there's so many people that have been doing all the right things and still testing positive, like just the nature of infectious diseases. And I just don't think it's a moral fault to have tested positive. And, you know, given the way the Sun Belt laid out the rules, I know that there are some Georgia State players that are unvaccinated. And, you know, if they haven't tested positive, this would be a good time probably to look at getting vaccinated because I think there's a lot of positives out of doing so. But seven players and one coach is all you need with the Sun Belt to play a game, and Georgia State could not. And so this extends past the unvaccinated players on Georgia State's roster. Like more than that will have had to have test positive. Otherwise, Georgia State would be able to play this game. Like that's just within the rules of how it is. And so I don't know that making it this thing about Georgia State and doing the right thing or not is a very fair thing in this circumstance. And I was maybe more willing to hear that argument the first time around, but this time it feels different and it feels like this has just been something that college basketball as a whole has been unable to avoid. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, Georgia state, like other teams is just able to kind of weather this storm and, you know, kind of get back to playing ball. And you, you see against, you know, teams in the Sun Belt, Georgia State is capable of beating. They just kind of put some wins together and kind of calm down the negative vibes that have been going down through Panther basketball fans those last few months, I guess. Yeah, honestly, you could say months because it's, you know, it's not been not been a good time to be a Panther basketball fan of late, I guess you could say. No, and... Yeah, like like you say, it, you're just going to have to kind of hit the ground running like you were able to do last year. There's no guarantee it happens like that, and you're losing leeway because, you know, lose. you're only one game of 500. You're in the 230s in net and all that that entails, and you just have lost kind of the time where you could really find it out on your feet and okay, you played better, but lost this game. Like you're going to have to start when, when you hit the reset going, you're going to have to start putting together actual wins. And, you know, I look forward to you know, next week, hopefully being back on previewing these Texas schools that are going to be coming into Atlanta and getting back into normal vibes. It's just been such a, a, a bad time for Georgia State basketball the last two years like it it hasn't been going well and like last year obviously the pre-vaccine season that's why there were there were some issues and this year we're in a better position but obviously December has not been a good month just in the country with it and so you know fingers crossed and crossing everything that this is the peak of it and things start being better in January because you know, once Georgia State hit that, hit the reset, played all the rest of their conference slate in the February and March last year, like, obviously that was not a time when cases were like this or, or where there were vaccines where you could fix it like that. Like, it was still getting there and they were able to play a game. So I think if, if you're in a better place countrywide and the cases aren't nearly as bad as they've been the last couple of weeks, I think there's reason to believe that this could just be a little blip and they can get back on schedule, but you know, hopefully they keep, they're able to come out of it playing well, winning games. And that's the way it plays out because, you know, it's going to be tricky to do this again in a couple of weeks. If there's another set of games canceled, just on, on just uh, keeping locked in on Georgia state basketball point of view. Like it is no fun at all that we've spent however many minutes talking about basketball just now and literally none of it was out was about on the court stuff this year the georgia state basketball team 
Yeah, just get healthy and, you know, we'll see how things go from there. So not too much happening anymore in Georgia State sports this week with all these cancellations. Uh, Saturday, January 1st, the Panther Band will be marching in the Tournament of Roses Parade. That is stepping off at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Panther Band is the last band in the parade, I believe, entrant number 87 out of 89, if I remember correctly. So toward the end of the parade, you should be able to see them. They're having a fun time out in California doing all sorts of stuff relating to the parade and other engagements. So support them and congratulate them on a wonderful achievement for their program. But that's all we've got for this week. Stay safe. Hope you have a very happy new year, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday Night. And of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, ThursdayNight.com. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.